Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to continue our series called The Right Fight. Why don't you repeat after me, The Right Fight? Fantastic. We started this series talking about a film called The Imitation Game. Week one, we looked at The Imitation Game, which was a film that I really loved because it was based upon a real life story about a team of British code breakers in World War II. And they worked tirelessly behind the scenes in order to break the code of the enemy to get advantage over the enemy. And this gave them a huge advantage because they got to know their enemy. They got to know the strategies and plans of the enemy. And as a result, they played an important part in Britain winning the world war at that time. And the Bible also tells us that we have an enemy. And like the British team of code breakers, we need to know our enemy We need to know His plans and we need to know His strategies. If we don't, what's going to happen is we're going to end up fighting the wrong fight. You may find this hard to believe, but Kath and I were uh, not seeing eye to eye. Only, Only this week, only this week, not seeing eye to eye. We were having a discussion and the discussion got far more heated than it should as a uh, married couple, particularly a married couple that's leaving a church. And I'll just be honest with you, it just got far too heated for my liking. And I'll never forget mid, mid conversation, I'll call it a conversation, mid conversation, I found myself saying, Kath, I don't even know what we're fighting about anymore. And I realised at that moment, we kind of, fell prey to the enemy's strategies. And here I am preaching to you about how not to fall prey to the enemy's strategy. And here I am mid-series doing that very thing. But thank God we're able to come to our senses and we're able to kiss and make up and do what married couples do. And we are closer now than ever before. So if you had one of those kind of weeks, what I would say is just recognise that there is an enemy out there that wants to uh, uh, take things from you because that's what he does. Our enemy, the Bible tells us, as we've looked at already, is the devil himself or Satan. We have a very real spiritual enemy. And the greatest trick of the enemy is to convince the world that he doesn't exist. And that's what this series is about. It's about us exposing him, letting you know that he is real and he's the leader of of a demonic army. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So we have an enemy, and he has a plan. Yes, the enemy, the devil himself, has a plan for you. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the plan of the enemy for you. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy anything that is good, anything that is right, anything that is godly in your life. He wants to take it from you. He wants to rob you of your marriage. He wants to rob you of your joy. He wants to rob you of your health. He wants to rob you of your finances. He wants to rob you of your relationships. Anything that is good, anything that is godly, the enemy wants to take from you. But God also has a plan for us. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. He's given us plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Amen. And so He has plans. And not only does He have a plan, but He has a strategy in order to fulfil that plan. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, it says, In order that Satan may not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Wherever you are right now, just say the word schemes. See, the enemy has schemes. In other words, we are not always fighting the devil 
directly. But he has schemes and he has strategies in order to fulfill his plans and purpose to kill, steal and destroy and take from us. The good news is, as we learned last week, the devil is not omnipotent. In other words, he's not all powerful. He's not, he's not omniscient. In other words, he's not all knowing and he's not omnipresent. He's unable to be everywhere at once. His rule and reign is indeed limited. And because of this, he devises strategies and schemes to fulfill his plans. And one of those schemes is temptation. And we looked at that last week. The devil tempts us to do wrong, but God tests us to make us strong. Amen. And if you missed that message, download it, get online and have a look at that. We talked about temptation. But today I want to look at another strategy he uses, and that is accusation. These things are important to know because if we know what he did, then we will know what he will do. If we know what the devil did in the past, we know what he will do in the present. And so today's title is simply this, Arresting Accusation. Arresting Accusation. And I want to read from the book of Revelation. Revelation is a book that was written by the Apostle John, who was one of the 12 disciples. And uh, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And it was there on this island that he wrote this incredible letter called Revelation. And reading from chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God both day and night has been hurled down. And they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. John highlights a few important things in this portion of Scripture. And I want to highlight three of those things this morning. And the first thing John highlights is that we have an accuser. We have an accuser. An accuser translates adversary or a nemesis or an enemy. In other words, he is the joker to our Batman. He is the Port Adelaide Football Club to our Crows. He is our Victoria to our beloved South Australia. Amen. Amen. He's all that and more. And not only that, he's the accuser, not just of you, but of all the brothers and all the sisters. In other words, John is highlighting that we're all in the same boat that we're all facing the same thing, that we all have the same enemy. And this is an important thing to note, that we don't miss the boat when it comes to understanding that we have one enemy and He goes after all of us. So let's wise up church. He, uh, we're all in the same boat and He goes after us all. And I want you to remember this, that accusation is not proof. This is an important fact. Accusation is not proof. You might be accused of something, but that doesn't mean you are guilty of it. And John highlights the fact that this accuser accuses both day and night. That means in the daytime, he accuses you. And in the nighttime, he accuses you. And the last time I checked, there's no other time in the day. It's either day or night. And whether it's day or night, he's accusing. In other words, he's relentless. He doesn't stop. He doesn't rest. He doesn't say, well, uh, you're tired, so I'm going to give you a break. No, in actual fact, he's an opportunist. In Luke chapter 4, verse 13, it says, When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left Jesus until an opportune time. Yeah. 
In other words, the devil doesn't fight fair. In actual fact, he waits for certain moments. He waits for when we are vulnerable. As we learned last week, it was when Jesus Christ was born and he was still a babe that Herod heard that this Messiah had been born. And it was while Jesus was still a baby that Herod sent the, uh, the uh, order for all the babies in Bethlehem to be put to death. Not sure exactly which one was Jesus. He said, you know what? Anyone under the age of two, just put them to death so we can kill this rising King, this rising Messiah, this opposition to Herod's throne and Herod's authority and Herod's power. And so he waits for when we're vulnerable. He also waits when you are relationally worn out. We see that in Samson's life. Samson was uh, flirting with this woman by the name of Delilah. And Delilah only had one thing in mind, that was to bring Samson down. Samson might've been a strong man, but he wasn't a smart man. And he entertained this uh, woman and day after day, night after night, week after week, she uh, kept nagging him to find out the secret of his great strength. And the Bible says that she nagged him pretty much to death. He was worn out. He was relationally and emotionally exhausted to the point he eventually gave up the secret of his great strength. And that was the beginning and the end for Samson. Maybe some of you parents can identify with this. When your kids just say, can I have this? Can I, can I, can I? They say, no, can I, no, can I, no, can I, can I, can I, can I? And we just give in. Hey, if there's any parents out there that have given in to their kids just because you've been relationally and emotionally worn out, I understand. I understand. That's when the enemy loves to just get in and bring the greatest attack of all. When we're vulnerable, when we're emotionally and relationally worn down, when we're emotionally exhausted. We see Elijah, who was an incredible Old Testament prophet, who did some incredible miracles. We see that on one occasion, he brought down 400 prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal were false prophets. And uh, Elijah lined these 400 prophets up and they had a a little bit of a challenge and and the 400 prophets could not match the power that Elijah operated under the power of God. And these 400 prophets were executed. You would think in that moment, Elijah would be on a high. You would think at that moment, Elijah would feel invincible. And yet because he was emotionally and spiritually exhausted, in that emotionally and spiritually exhausted state, it was Jezebel the king's wife that says, I'm gonna put this man to death. And you would think off the back of that victory, Elijah would say, no, she's not. But he was so tired, he just just ran for his life. He ran for his life. That's when the enemy wants to attack us. He's an opportunist, he's relentless. He attacks us daytime and nighttime, morning, noon and evening. He attacks us when we're hungry. You notice that? When you're hungry, Uh, When you're hungry, Caleb, are you a little bit different than when you're not hungry? Yes, you are. He attacks us when we're hungry. We see that Esau, an Old Testament character, he went out and he was so hungry. He was so hungry that he came home and his brother, his, his little brother, Jacob, was cooking a meal. And he smelt the meal that had been cooked. He said, oh man, give, give, me, give me some food. I'm starving. I, I've been out hunting. And Jacob said, I'll give you a meal, but you've got to give me your birthright. And Esau in that moment handed over his birthright. 
handed over something that was so significant to his future. He handed it over for one lousy meal. And the moment he'd had that meal, the moment he'd had his feed, he despised what he had done. And he despised his younger brother as a result of that decision. Be careful when you're hungry. Watch where you go when you're emotionally low. When you're angry, we see that Jonah was angry at God and angry at the world. He was angry that this worm had come and eaten his vine and he just just said some silly things and did some dumb things in his anger. You know, these, these stories are not in the Bible for us to judge these characters. They're there for us to see ourselves in them and to learn from them. So please, Let's not point a finger at these biblical characters as if they are, you know, the enemy. No, they're great examples of what we can learn from. The enemy will attack when your destiny is involved. You know, Jesus was talking about his death. He was talking about how he must suffer in order to fulfill his destiny. And it was Peter, well-intentioned, I might add, I love Peter. I love Peter. Peter's an incredible man. I thank God for Peter. I don't know about you, but I thank God for Peter because he makes me feel very normal. But Peter spoke up and said, Jesus, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. We're not going to let you die. We're going to protect you. And Jesus said to him, he said, get behind me, Satan. Now, I do not believe at that moment that the devil entered Peter's life. And I do not believe it was a devil that stood before Peter. But I believe Peter fell for one of the schemes of the enemy to attack when destiny is involved. And when your destiny is involved, that's where the enemy will seek to attack us. And we need to remember a few things. And the first one is this, that the enemy, the devil, he's a liar. How do you know the devil's lying? Because his mouth is moving. He's a liar. But here's the thing you might not know, he lies with truth. That's one of his great strategies. He tells lies with the truth. We saw that last week when he was tempting Jesus in the desert. He quotes Scripture. He quotes the truth of the Word of God, but out of context. So he misquotes the truth. And that's what he seeks to do with you and with me. He'll do the same to us. You may have that uh, situation where you're walking down the street and, and, and uh, someone says hello to you, but you, you didn't hear them and uh, you just keep walking on by. And, and because you said hello, but they didn't, the devil wants to get in that moment and feed you with truth and distort that truth. They didn't say hello to you. That's true. But then he'll add the twist. He'll twist the truth. And say, it's because they don't like you. It's because they're ignoring you. It's because they hate you. And so he'll use truth. They didn't say hello to you. That's true. But then he'll put his twist on it. And I believe many of us fall for the enemy's schemes in that moment. We, we, we listen to, we buy into the truth. That's how he gets us to take the bait. We take the truth of what's happened, but then we misinterpret the truth. And one of the enemies, the strategy of the enemy is to divide and conquer. More than anything else, he wants to divide us. He wants to separate us. And I believe he's been rubbing his hands together in this season as the church has not been able to meet together and he's rubbed his hands. But I think the church has been aware of the enemy's schemes. And I know for us, we've worked really hard at staying connected in a season when we can't gather together. Why have we worked so hard? Maybe you've sat at home and what, what? why have you phoned me? And why have so many emails? And why so much social media? It's because we are trying our best to stay as connected as we possibly can in a season where we can't meet together. Why? Because we need each other. Yeah. 
We themed this year at the beginning of the year that we are better together. And that is absolutely true. It was God Himself who said, it's not good for man to be alone. If you take an ember and take it out of a fire, pretty soon it will die out. It will die out initially. We need the gathering together. We need one another. We need one another. And so I want you to know, we've been working hard to stay connected. And I look forward in the next couple of weeks when we can gather together again. And we're going to celebrate that day. We're going to celebrate along with many other churches as we celebrate gathering together again. Here's the good news, church. The enemy, according to John in his writings, has been hurled down. He's been hurled down. In other words, we fight from a position of victory, not for a position of victory. This enemy, he is defeated. He is defeated. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean he stops accusing us. He's defeated, but he doesn't stop accusing us. It's like the football team that loses a match, but then they go on accusing the referee of cheating. You know, Port Adelaide Football Club are really good at doing this. Just blaming the ref for this and blaming the ref for that. The Crow supporters are far more dignified. And the reason we're far more dignified when it comes to losing is because we've had a lot more practice at it. So there we go. You know, it's been said that the devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. But God knows your sin and calls you by your name. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? We have an accuser according to John. But then John also highlights that we have an advocate. He says they overcame with the blood of the lamb. An advocate is one who pleads a case on someone else's behalf. It's like having a good lawyer in your corner. I've seen enough lawyer films. And when you see someone being accused, a lawyer sits next to them and it's like, you don't have to answer that. You don't have to answer that. You don't need to say anything. And I think sometimes we feel that we have to answer every one of the enemy's accusations, anything that comes our way. One thing I love about the life of Jesus is that He never answered most of His questions directly. In actual fact, this morning I just read that when Jesus was being accused by those who were seeking to crucify Him, He remained silent. We have one who never leaves us. He's with us in the fire as we sang earlier. And He's there in the middle of our pain. He's in the middle of our storm. He's in the middle of our fire. And He's saying, you don't have to answer that. You don't even need to entertain that because we've won the victory. And Jesus' victory on the cross means a couple of things. One, that we have power to not sin. And also, it means that we have forgiveness if we do. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My dear children, I write this so that you would not sin. The goal is that we would not sin, that we would have power to overcome the temptation and not sin. We don't want to just be Christians and just, uh, uh, just excuse sin. And he writes this so that we may not sin. But if anyone does sin, he goes on to say, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole wide world. Isn't that amazing? You know, the only imperfection that's been allowed into heaven is the holes in the hands and feet of Jesus. And this is an eternal reminder to us of the victory that was won at Calvary. And I thank God 
that with Jesus Christ in my life, I've been able to overcome temptation. I've been able to overcome and not sin. I've been able to say no to ungodliness because of the grace of God that's in my life. I thank God for that. But I'm not perfect. And there are times that moments have got the better of me. And I thank God in those moments that I have one who's able to stand with me and that I don't have to buy into the lies of the enemy. I've told a story many times from this platform, but it bears repeating very quickly. When I lost my call at Bondi Beach some 12, 13 years ago, and I'm not proud of that moment, but I have shared it numerous times for the sole purpose of helping people through those moments when we probably should have handled things better. And I think we can all relate to this story on that basis alone. Basically, I had the family with me. It was a beautiful day, but it soon turned south or went south because our kids made it very obvious to me and Kath that they didn't want to be on the beach. And I, for some reason, to my shame, just lost my call. My response was disproportionate to what was actually happening. And I was so mad, I didn't even have words. Have you ever been so mad you don't even have words and you just find yourself going, ah! And I just found myself saying, I can't believe it, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. And I grabbed all of our gear and I made a bit of a scene. (laughs) I made a big scene, not a bit of a scene, I made a big scene and the kids were terrified and my wife was embarrassed and uh, I, I I was kind of in that picking a fight mode and people were looking at me, I said, go on, I dare you, I dare you. And so we grabbed our gear, I threw it in the car, I drove home. And I say I drove home, it was a home that a friend of ours had lent us while they'd gone on holiday. It wasn't even my car, it wasn't even my home. You'd think I'd be grateful, but there I was, so caught up in the wrong fight. And it was when I got home, it dawned on me just how stupid I'd been. Just how I'd fallen for the trap, fallen for the bait of the enemy. And I'm a pastor. And I thought, this is no way for a pastor to behave. Thank God for the grace of God toward me and my family that day because Bondi Beach, uh, sorry, Bondi Rescue were not filming. I'm very, ever grateful for that. But we came home and I thought, oh, I've got to try my best to undo this. And I remember the first thing I did, I said, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. The Bible tells me that when we own our sin and we apologise for our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And at that moment, I felt this lightness. I felt this, this weight lift off me. I felt the forgiveness of God. Didn't justify what I'd done, but I felt the forgiveness of God. I'm so grateful for that. But then I realised I had to undo something with my family. See, when I ask for forgiveness with God, that's when I get um, forgiveness. But I have to ask forgiveness for my family because that's where I get healing. And I, and I went up to my wife and apologised to her And then I went up to my kids and BJ was very young and so she won't remember this but my two oldest ones do. They'll still tell you about this to this day. But I got on my knees. I looked them in the eyes and said, kids, I'm I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And I use those words sorry and forgive because I believe that's the gospel. We ask for sorry and we say sorry and then we ask for forgiveness. I said, will you forgive me? And their little faces were like, But then I realised that I had to do something else. Because this is what I know about kids, particularly young kids, is that they're very intuitive, but they're not very wise. In other words, they know something's wrong, they just don't know what it is. And if we don't elaborate and we don't explain what it is, they'll come up with their own conclusions. And so in this apologetic state, I said, I want you to know something, kids. This is not mummy's fault. 
your mum is beautiful and she did not cause me to do this. I said, I want you to know this is not the church's fault. See, I didn't want my kids to grow up to be teenagers and then run away from God because of the hypocrisy they see at home. And I wanted to take something off them. This is not the church that made me do this. I'm not that busy. I'm not that tired. This is not the church. Take that off them. And I said this. I said, and this is not you. You are great kids. You didn't make me do this. I said, this is, this is all on me. I actually said this. I said, your dad is that good at being that bad. Left to my own devices. Will you forgive me? And the reason I could do that with such a confidence is because I understand what the Bible says and the fact he is faithful and just. The holes in his hands, the holes in his feet gave me that moment to be able to come and ask for forgiveness again. I thank God for the times I've been able to overcome temptation, overcome sin. I thank God for that. But when I succumb, I have one who's able to intercede, who's able to stand in the gap and silence the accuser. At that moment, I felt the enemy wanted to destroy my family. At that moment, I felt the enemy wanted to rob me of our future. But I was able to implement the blood of Jesus Christ in that moment. Are you with me? Thank God we have an advocate that can plead our case. And the third thing that John highlights is the acknowledgement. He highlights the fact we have an accuser, that we have an advocate, but he acknowledges the acknowledgement of the early church. He says, they overcame him with the word of their testimony. This may sound um, like heresy initially, but as powerful as the blood of the lamb is, it's not enough. Don't throw stones at me just yet. Hear me out. You see, it's what you say about the blood that determines whether you overcome or not. In other words, there's a power in your confession. Our words create our worlds. What you say about what He says is more important than what He says in your life. We have to agree. We have to add the yes. We have to add the amen to what the Word of God says. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Our salvation is on the premise, not only that we believe, but that we confess. That we confess with our mouths what we believe in our hearts. I say this many, many times. Hey, I want to hear you agreeing. I want to hear your yes. I want to hear your amen. Not because I'm on an ego trip, not because I'm insecure, but because I believe there's power in what you say. There's power in our confession. I know this to be true, that the enemy wants to silence you. He wants to stop your yes. He wants to stop your amen. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18, we read, So they called them back and they ordered them not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. This is the early church. This is Peter and John that had been arrested. And Peter and John, however, said uh, to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to obey you rather than God, you be our judges. It is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. In other words, we hear what you're saying, but we are not going to succumb. We realise that this is a strategy of the enemy to keep us silent and we are not going to stay silent because our words create our words. It was in the beginning of time that God said, let there be and there was. Let there be light and there was light. Let there be animals and there was animals. Let there be human beings and there was human beings. What you say is more important than what God says when it comes to you experiencing personal victory in your life. Amen. Hey, what is your testimony? Just very quickly, what is your testimony? Four things very quickly to remember. Your testimony is what Christ has done for you. In other words, through His death, burial and resurrection. 
It's what He's done for you. Secondly, it's what Christ is doing in you. We have an opportunity to tell people, how are we different? I am different because of X, Y, or Z. We heard Jack Reynolds' story. He, he, was, he was basically giving his testimony. He said, this is what I used to be like, but this is what I'm like now with Christ in my life. It's what Christ is doing in you. Thirdly, it's what Christ is doing around you. Where are you seeing God moving? I thank God that through this COVID lockdown season, we have seen and heard so many incredible things that's taking place in people's lives, be it online or be it through our Feel Good Fridays as we've been able to bless some of the community. God is doing some amazing things right here, right now in a season of lockdown. I thank God for that. And the fourth part of our testimony is what Christ is doing through you. How has God used you? How has God used you in this last season. And you know what? If you don't have uh, much to say about that, let, let's get on board. Let's actively get involved again. It's what Christ is doing through you. I thank God that as I've already mentioned, our Feel Good Fridays, I've been able to stand out the front here as we've given away free coffees and I've been able to engage with many, many members of our community. And I thank God. And because it's free coffee, people have said, well, what, what's the catch? And I love that. It just gives me a door to be able to speak to people. I said, there's no catch. In actual fact, we hope you don't catch anything, particularly COVID-19. We, we I said that so many times during this lockdown period. And they laughed. They said, and we, said we, we, just, we just know this. It's Friday. I said, yeah. And we want you to feel good. Hence, feel good Friday. And the amount of people we've spoken to, the people who've been able to walk through this building, the people who are able to give out uh, invitations to church in this last season is so good. It's part of my testimony. Hey, when we go back to work, when we go back to school, when we go back to university, whatever it is that we do this afternoon, we have an opportunity for God to use you. Let God work through you. Amen. It goes on to say that they did not love their own lives so much as to shrink back from death. This speaks of having a confession that's born out of a personal revelation. In other words, you can't have a secondhand revelation. And this is what Jack Reynolds alluded to in his testimony. You can't have a secondhand revelation. Let's look at what happens when you have a secondhand revelation. It's found in the book of Acts, chapter 19. It says, Some of the Jews went around driving out evil spirits and they tried to invoke the name of the Lord, Jesus, over those who were demon-possessed. And this is what they would say. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, that's seven lads, a Jewish chief priest, they were doing this. But one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the, men who had the, evil, the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I don't know if you've ever read that and thought, why did you have to strip them of their clothes? But that's what the enemy wants to do. He not only wants to beat you up, he wants to humiliate you. He wants to embarrass you. I mean, he could have just beat them up, but he rips their clothes and they go, they leave naked, seven men against one man. And this one man not only beat them, but he stripped them of their clothes and they left humiliated and hurt. That's what's gonna happen to you and I when we try to invoke biblical truth without having a personal revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Our role is to silence the voice of the accuser. And we can do that today, right here, right now, by sharing our testimony and declaring the goodness of God. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, 
please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.